Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Because everybody all be getting Mormon out here. They all be converting out here. Converting and reverting. This is a very serious cast today. Unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) We should, from the outset, say a caveat in the beginning. There was God. (laughs) There was God. Gabe. There were the golden plates buried in the earth. But we didn't know about that until Joseph Smith unearthed them from the 1800s. <laughs> That's when the one true religion came about. Why don't you talk in this voice for the rest of the cast? <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes, I think I can do that, Brother Stephen. Oh, no. Thank you for joining me. No, I think you should give the, the caveat. Caveat's what you have before you go to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for the, the latter day memes. <laughs> Church of the Latter Day Memes. This might be the episode that gets us canceled. (laughs) There's no way we're getting canceled for making fun of one of our 15 to 20 listeners. Will be like, oh, those those fuckers. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we're gonna take this very seriously now. Well, there's got to be an element of lightheartedness, right? Yeah. Otherwise, I was joking. We're not. We can't. We can't talk about this because Mm -hmm. because it's real. Well. That's the caveat. You need to talk about. Oh, you need to talk about True how. Crime. No, you need to talk about how we are actually going to take this sincerely without trying to step on anybody's toes, but also while trying oh. to uh, do the right thing. Yeah, but you can say it better than me. So do the right thing. Say it. Tell tell the audience. <laughs> I feel like I I was articulate about it a few days ago and. Not anymore. So this podcast deals with some heavy themes and is rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion. Listener discretion is advised. Rated M for mature. (laughs) There are, um, yeah, so we're talking about a show that is all about religion today. And Stephen and I have a religious background. Oh, yeah. I forgot. (laughs) And uh, it's Mormonism. The cat's out of the bag. And so we're going to talk about this. Latter-day Saints. Yes, Latter-day Saints. Mormonism is the term applied to Latter-day Saints because it's a derogatory term derived from uh, the fact that they read what is called the Book of Mormon, and they ha- then started to be called Mormons derogatorily and, like- and by, by the people that were hunting them down. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, so they're, but no, the Latter-day Saints... Um, and that's why they're called Mormons. There you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a touchy thing talking about religious freedom because there is that that exists in the United States. Uh, but there is a dark side to many religions, and Mormonisms is fresh because it's only about 200 years old. So, And it's localized, pretty much, I think, to the United States. So I think we can jump right into it. We're going to talk about it in a, a manner which is befitting of its... Uh, station of its uh, strong content yeah right so there will be some light humor dispersed throughout this podcast you may have even laughed already or smiled and that's what we want to make sure that there's some levity because we're dealing with those heavy themes like decapitation and blood atonement and the murder of women and children because that is mormonism so if you haven't already guessed, <laughs> we are talking about a show today that came out on FX 
and then made its way to Hulu. It's called Under the Banner of Heaven, starring Andrew Garfield and Gil Birmingham. They play two detectives trying to unearth a murder that when uh, Andrew Garfield's character, whose name is Jeb, Jeb starts to unearth the mystery about who done it, it starts to hit really close to home for him because it deals with the Latter-day Saints. And he's also a member of the LDS community. And as he's discovering kind of the deep entrenched conspiracy, he begins to deconstruct his own faith while he's trying to do his detective work. And then that plays into how he has his home life and how he looks at his family, how he looks at the way he lives his life. The full gamut of deconstruction of religion happens kind of in the course of this show. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Uh, we'll talk about more of that probably later. But that's kind of the plot on the out from the outside. And then Gil plays kind of more not he's not faithless, but he's the other detective and I think he's Native American. Yeah, I forget what his but he is constantly challenging Jeb while respecting him also, but challenging him to try to see through some of the lies that his religion may have been telling him. Anyway, the interesting thing is that this showrunner is named Dustin Lance Black, and he has worked on the movie Milk with Sean Penn. He worked on the Leonardo DiCaprio film, J. Edgar, a limited series on ABC called When We Rise, which both Milk and When We Rise had to do with gay rights activism. And then he also worked on a show called Big Love, which dealt with polygamy. (gasps) Oh. (laughs) And that is one of the themes that plays heavily into this show. Dustin Lance Black, as a creator, I think has been creating content that tries to push the envelope of what a story can do, specifically dealing with these kinds of themes of monogamy, polygamy, rights for women, rights for LGBTQIA+, you know, dealing with a lot of the moral gray areas that a lot of people don't want to talk about. He often just jumps right into those ideas and then fleshes them out in the best way, I think, possible that he sees fit when it comes to a work. And, uh... I think in the case of this show that he did an exceptional job talking about these really large topics and subject matter. Worth noting that it's the show is written based on the book by John Krakauer, I think is the way you say his name. The true crime series based on the real life murder of this person in the 90s, 80s, 84? 80s, 80s. 84? Yeah, so this is based on true events. This all supposedly actually happened. Supposedly. <laughs> it did well not all of it but well, yeah you know, it's, ba- it's based on there's there's obviously but this woman and her daughter did die there's obviously an element though to which things are dramatized for a show or yeah. a, a hollywood narrative the lafferty's that's the family name and perhaps some of our older listeners may remember this from the 80s steven was alive in the 80s but don't remember that <laughs> a little bit after <laughs> uh why don't you talk about the rest of the cast sure So you already mentioned Andrew Garfield as detective and brother Jeb Pyrie and his partner Gil Birmingham as Bill Taba. Then we have this large Lafferty family, the eldest son of which is played by Sam Worthington. That is Ron Lafferty. His wife, Diana, is played by Denise Gao. 
The second son is Wyatt Russell playing Dan Lafferty. Wyatt. Dan's wife is Matilda, played by Chloe Piret. Piri. Then the other brothers are Billy Howell playing Alan, Seth Numrick playing Robin, Rory Culkin. Rory Culkin. As Sam. Third Culkin brother. And out there acting. Father Lafferty Amon. Eamon. Eamon is played by Christopher Heyerdahl, who we just saw as the old G Man in Peacemaker. He was the crazy guy. Dude, yeah. He and he plays that crazy role well here as well. Yeah. And then Alan's wife in the show. Yes, our the kind of flashback ep- queen is Daisy Edgar Jones, who yeah. plays Brenda Lafferty, who is the kind of epicenter of the story because yeah. she's the one that gets murdered in the beginning. As well as her spoilers. Daughter. Spoilers by the way, because we're not gonna be able to talk about this without spoiling it. Yeah. Well the show opens with the murder, so Well, yeah. also for the rest of the show. And and do oh, yeah. do we even need to mention who played Joseph Smith and Ah, uh, we can. I have to dig a little bit. Ingrid Bergman. Oh, also Adelaide Clemens plays Rebecca Pyrie, which is Jeb's wife. The other Lafferty brother is Jacob Taylor St. Pierre. Or here he is, Joseph Smith in our flashbacks of the eighteen hundreds timeline. <laughs> is played by Andrew Burnap. Handsome fella. Didn't really recognize him from anything, but also Brigham Young is played by Scott Michael Campbell. Emma Smith is played by Tyner Rushing, and that's the gist of our old-school Mormon timeline. Yeah, so like I was saying, there's a murder of a woman and her 15-month-old daughter, and this guy, Alan Lafferty, is outside, blood on his shirt. He walks up, and he's thrown in prison by Andrew Garfield and by Gil, and they begin to interrogate him, and they think he might be a suspect because there's always that whole thing about like 80 or 90 percent of the time it's always the husband or something right Mm -hmm. and this starts unfoiling the lafferty's and who they are and kind of the deep roots of the lafferty family and how they view their own religion don't they call them the kennedys of utah or something yeah yeah it's crazy do you want to talk about the lafferty's and who they are and what they do. So the show starts in media stress. And so while we're moving forward with Pyrie and Taba investigating and trying to get to the bottom of the crime and find the person responsible, we're also seeing flashbacks of Brenda Lafferty being a part and coming into the Lafferty family. So we get just a lot of characterization of each member of that family. And they are, uh, like we said, an old school family of Mormons, which means a lot of people in there. <laughs> <laughs> And it's sort of a, the main business the father has is there, he's a chiropractor and he moves away at some point to do a, an old, like a senior mission, which is rare. And so he puts his second son in charge. The gist of it is the sons become disillusioned with modern governance in the United States and they start to look back into the roots of their Mormon faith and they find some crazy old school stuff. Because in the modern Mormon church, I think polygamy and some of these other antiquated practices are kind of stuffed under the rug or under the bed, so to speak. Swept. But these Lafferty boys, they reach back and for that stuff because they are, I mean, this is where the psychology comes into it. They're yeah. just like... They use those old practices and what they would consider scripture to justify their motives. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's pretty much the button on the nose for the show here is... They are justifying their own, like... And what are their motives, though? I think you could probably... If, if you'd list them, list them, like... Because uh, they're very misogynistic. Yeah, is that misogynistic is huge, but it's just like a... Just kind of a general megalomania or psychosis. These these guys believe they are... And I feel like they really do believe it. Prophets. 
they believe they are like a God's chosen. Wyatt, Wyatt even in the, in the car at the end, he's like, I am Elijah. Yeah. By the end of the show, they the Kool-Aid is so much of their blood con- like con- uh, level. It's crazy. Uh, it's basically their justification. Supremacy. Yeah, to live out their power fantasy in real life. And that means, you know. But they actually, it seems like they actually believe it. You know, yeah. and that's the whole idea about like what religion, a big especially part of, yeah. certain kinds and aspects of religion. It's also very political though. Or like a, smaller sects of religion, like different sects. Yeah. A big part of the instigation of it, at least with Dan, is this political motive. Uh, it's this weird warped libertarian thing he's got going on where he doesn't want the government to tax him at all. He doesn't like want to pay taxes. And that's sort of what gets the ball rolling for this whole thing. He uh, even tries running for, I think it was either mayor or governor at some point. That doesn't go well. Yeah. But so it's this like quasi-religious political movement that they get everybody in their family involved in and then a bunch of other people in their orbit. And some of those are fundamentalists who are the people that are still living out those antiquated practices of polygamy and stuff like that. Yeah. So the family becomes more radicalized as time goes on. And all the while, Brenda is working against them because she is this like perfect modern Mormon girl and she stands for like more uh, modern values for the Mormon church. Daisy Edgar Jones. And she goes head to head with these brothers and eventually that causes them to kill her. They put her on a list of names. Yeah. And I forget what they they, they called it, but they're trying to like kill for God or something. So it's, uh, yeah, I like don't remember. Like go through the list and set things right, I think is what they're, something along those lines like, Here's a list of names. We need. They need to be not murdered, but but ended or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember what the exact terminology is, yeah, but can't. in their heads, they were doing this to save them. It was like the murder in this manner, which was the blood atonement, to save them and make sure they can like get into heaven or something. Which is why, when Sam turns on Dan in the end, he's like, "You don't even get to be blood atoned. You just mm-hmm, get to die." Mm-hmm. And then he starts beating himself up because he's trying to draw blood. Yeah. Uh. So. They're trying to kill these people to because they believe Sam, the eldest brother, is the one prophet who's like, he's the new guy. He's the new. And when you say they, like, how many people are we talking? Like, well, the the brothers are five, but it's really just Sam, Dana, and Robin, which later and and uh, some other a few other dudes. What's the Colkin brother's name? Rory. Yeah, but in the show, I can't remember. And and then it really just becomes Sam and Dan at the end. And Sam comes in later in the show. This is another kind of topic of conversation, but they 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 hoist all this this onus of responsibility and like they put it all on Sam since he's the eldest brother, and then he comes to believe in his own fantasy of being the chosen one, even though he was skeptical initially. Mm-hmm. But Dan sort of Dan's been off his rocker since the beginning. Yeah, Dan is like the original crazy Lafferty. <laughs> and and <laughs> if you don't know who we're talking about, he plays the U.S. agent the new like evil captain america in the falcon and the winter soldier series that's wyatt russell yeah yeah i he was also in an episode of black mirror where he plays the video game yeah yeah anyway all that to say they end up trying to kill these people and they kill brenda and the baby so that's our show kind of converges on that in the finale even though you know brenda died in the pilot or in the first episode they they decapitate the 15 month old i just i just want to make that known yeah, because that's pretty gnarly, and they make a huge deal about it in the show, and then it actually happened. Yeah. Like, 
you have to think how crazy these people are to actually do that. Really heavy stuff. Um, they don't ever really show that. No, but you know what that that's Thank happening. God. Thank God. Yeah, but that's <sighs> when Pyrie and Talbar are closing in on catching Sam and Dan in the like present day timeline. Mm-hmm. They're show they're mirroring that with Sam and Dan killing Brenda uh, in like the flashback from a week prior mm-hmm. in the finale episode. So you have those two timelines converging as well as the sprinkling in of all the Joseph Smith stuff in the 1800s. Yeah, so what's going on in the 1800s? Yeah, we're seeing throughout the show the founding of the Mormon religion of the Latter-day Saints. You have Joseph Smith from a child to his death developing the beginning of this religion. Latter-day Saints. Yeah. And that is because, like I had previously said, Alan, the Lafferty brother who has already kind of gone through a deconstruction, and has realized that his brothers are crazy. He's in the prison cell talking to Andrew Garfield, uh, Jeb, Pyrie, and is trying to explain to him the actual true origins of Mormonism. And that is why we then see these flashbacks as then Andrew Garfield's character begins to try to go discover these things for himself. Yeah. And but we but it happens like almost once per show, once per episode. Yeah. We'll see a flashback. Yeah, sometimes they edit it in such a way that it's intercut with uh, certain powerful scenes, especially towards the end of the episode. Yeah. I remember, it reminded me of Dark, uh, right. the Netflix series, where most episodes will end with this kind of montage moment where right. they're cutting timelines together. Yeah. They do that same thing here. Uh, and again, Alan, just for context, because he's pretty important, is the husband to Brenda Lafferty, one of the younger brothers of the Lafferty family who became disenchanted with Mormon faith, or at least the fundamentalist version of it. No, no, the whole thing. Because he saw his brothers going crazy, and then he saw how the modern Mormon church was interacting with all this and kind of trying to, you know, shove everything under the rug because they didn't need the bad press. So it's very complicated. But yeah, Alan is spends the entire show in a jail cell helping Jeb Pyrie deconstruct his own faith. Because he wanted to be there. Yeah, he, he had nowhere else to go. He is completely... Devastated after the death of his wife. Yeah. He really loved this woman. And he is kind of the prime suspect for the first three episodes of the show for Jeb and Taba, even though it's obvious to people watching that he wasn't the one who committed the murder because he's like just a really nice guy. <laughs> Not that nice guys can't kill people. Anyway, moving forward, um, that's that's pretty much the gist of the show. But there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there's things you didn't even touch on, like there's while all that's going on there's a lot of elements of of sort of showing the audience the the status of class the status of women and their their role within the mormon church and how they quote-unquote should operate to what they call their husband uh, priesthood holder. Priesthood holder. Anyway, it's honestly disturbing, and yeah, it's really scary. <laughs> it's really scary and disturbing, and it's very disturbing because it's true. And as you see the negative effects that it has on the adult women, mm-hmm. you also see it with like really young women. We're talking girls, like ten, twelve year old girls. Yeah, and then it goes and shows fucking. Andrew Garfield has two daughters who are like writing in their journals, like 
to like a prayers to God, like God, please lead me to my rightful priesthood holder. <laughs> and may you make me a dedicated woman that will be ready to do everything my priesthood holder wants me to do. Like, yeah. like that kind of nonsensical bullshit <laughs> that we get from these kinds of wayward teachings. Well, that's a lot of religion. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah, it's not found just here, but it is found in a lot of other kinds of religions. It's just, it, it's really scary. Like I, I also having two daughters was watching that going, holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, yeah, it really makes a person kick against, you know, there's like a natural sort of urgency to like want to move away as far as possible to separate yourself from something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is tough to do once you're in it, because they will excommunicate a member. Yes. So that's the other thing I wanted to bring up, because there's all that stuff with the gender roles and misogyny and the bullshit that surrounds that. And then there's the whole idea specifically that uh, they present to you with the Latter-day Saints um, being very insular. And I have found this to be true, because I've had a few LDS friends... Uh, growing up and in my adult life and the way that they presented it here in the show rang true with me and like the experiences that I have had with my friends there's this element of like if you're in and you're you say that you're in and you proclaim that you're in and you show up as you should on the specific days that you should and your whole family is like dedicated to this path then you're in. But the moment that you show or even express thinking that you have the freedom to express maybe like a semblance of doubt to someone that you may trust within that religion, you're immediately cast out as like a a heresy person who is spreading discord amongst the brothers and that kind of thing. And they, they try to cut you off and kind of excommunicate you almost immediately. And that is all the way down to your own family. So if word gets out, if you say anything or do anything that would make somebody feel otherwise, like that you're not following the path that they're following, they will get in touch with your own family members, try to come and take your kids away from you, your, your wife, your, it literally goes all the way down and your whole family is tied into it as well. And it's like, it's really scary. Yeah, typically it's your entire life and your livelihood are tied up in your faith. Yeah. We we see in the show in these tight-knit communities that are, even these, these towns as a whole, are largely Mormon. So when you, like that's one of the things Jeb wrestles with throughout, towards the end of the show is he starts to start to question his faith. Right. And he's called in to affirm his faith in front of like the board or whoever would review that because like like Steven said it's top to bottom excommunicado and you your life is not just uprooted it's it's completely destroyed and rearranged so the fear of that is probably what keeps I mean both on like a literal level and like on an existential level because we see a lot of people struggling with that throughout the show Mm -hmm. uh, especially these wives like Dan's wife Matilda is presented at one point with and Dan, like, wanting to have relations with her daughters, daughters. which are his stepdaughters. and Like, we're she, talking, like, what, like, 14 and 10 or something? 14 and 11? 
Yeah, but she doesn't know like what to do, so she can't like fight against that, and she can't like leave because it would like destroy everything about her life. So she's like trapped in that. Well, he tells her this that he quotes a quote of scripture saying such and such is punishable by death, basically threatening her. She's like, "Are you threatening me?" He's like, "No, I yeah, never threaten you." I think he calls like the wife disagreeing with the husband. Fornication by death. Yes, fornication. He uses that terminology, and it's so insane. <laughs> it's insane. But she she ends up helping her two daughters escape, uh, yeah. and they leave, and she she never sees them again for the course of the show. Yeah, she might I, she might find them afterward. I think it kind of hinted at that, but yeah, it's fucked. The whole thing's fucked. Yeah, mirroring the brothers like enacting their final plan is we see uh, all the wives, most of the wives, try, getting out of that lifestyle, which is really good. Uh-huh. Sam's wife, Diana, gets her and her huge, her large number of children out of Dodge, which is great. Yeah. And I think she helps Matilda escape and some other people too. Yeah. So apart from the murder, which is disturbing, and the deconstruction of the faith, which I related to, but the two things that disturbed me the most as well was the overwhelming sexist tendencies displayed within the confines of this religion and then also like the manipulation and kind of class um gender role stuff yeah i would even extrapolate that just to bring it to a political point because it it is everything to do with like like i said the warped view of personal freedoms Uh of just complete independence from the governing body or the federal government just so that they can follow their own insane lifestyle which is usually instances of debauchery and debauchery. Like just, yeah, debauchery. <laughs> debauchery. <laughs> and all these other insane things that are just not just outdated, but it's like we, we can see these things. Reasonable people, I think, can assess that this lifestyle as like unhealthy and just bad. Yeah. Toxic. Yeah. Just people are dying, like straight up. Like, and it's so many things. Like, we see a lot of the fundamentalist. But lives are being ruined. As yeah. well, because it's not just death. It's like I was saying about how deep the roots go within the confines of the religion of Mormonism. Like it's it's like one big family, and if you step out of line even for one second, your life's gonna be ruined. You know, they could they could even go as far as to ending your career, like your professional career, like in whatever job you would have. Yeah, it's all over. And and have you ever had an LDS friend? Yeah, I had a. Did you have good- a similar experience? Like as far as, I don't know much about his story, but I know he did uh, step away from the church at some mm-hmm, point, mm-hmm. and it was really difficult for him. Yeah, and uh, obviously he carries that baggage with him. That's that's something that I think you have to deal with for your the rest of your life. But he was shocked. I was talking about the show with another friend, and he was listening in because he didn't watch the series, and he mm-hmm. was shocked at all the memories that were rushing back because of all the terminology we were talking about like priesthood holder and stuff like that and he was like wow this is crazy hearing all this again i had a friend that literally lost his wife and his kids he was never in their lives ever again yeah and then he became homeless and like it literally fucked his whole life over Mm -hmm. was getting out of the mormon church i don't even think he realized how traumatizing it was for his own life maybe he would maybe he did i don't know yeah anyway crazy i don't think we've if we used the word cult yet i don't think we've even said the word cult no (laughs) 
but that's essentially what this it is. is the cult podcast. It's the cult <laughs> podcast. We're talking about cults. We're today. talking about cults today. Um, even going back, you see Joseph Smith and him and how he sort of created Mormonism saying he claimed that he found what, like it was the golden plates, gold plates that he, and he dictated, I think the what original teachings to Emma Smith or Emma, whatever her name was, who wrote, uh, them down for him. So he Ish. basically just like off the top of his head was just saying things that became the basis for the Mormon faith. And then he got in cahoots with Brigham Young. It's one of his later followers who I, I guess was older than him. I'm again, not sure. How and then that, Brigham Young seemed to sort of, he was much more, it, the show paints Brigham as to be this radical follower. Yeah. Who was always looking for. Well, I was going to say he almost seemed to like, I mean, in, in these flashbacks, who knows what is actually true. He seemed to sort of coerce Joseph Smith himself into believing a couple things like and changing some rules around to even make it go even deeper and yeah. and more hardcore into the polygamy stuff and whatnot, the misogyny. It almost seemed like then, Brigham was conspiring to yeah, get Joseph out of the I was way. about to say that. And then it seemed like once Joseph Smith was assassinated, it seemed like that might have been Brigham's doing. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but then Brigham took over. Right, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. ran the church for a bit, a, a while, and those were the f- considered the founders of this religion. Mm-hmm. Oh. And Brigham Young University is, you know, I think still the largest, one of the biggest schools for not just uh, Latter Day Saints, but in Utah, just it's, it's huge. BYU. Utah is a beautiful state. I have to yeah. say, America is a beautiful country. Driven through it, <laughs> it's really beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've gone at length about this show's religious. Not subtext, but text. But we should talk for a minute about this show as a show. What did you think about it as a show? Because the the main thing that is so gripping about it, and the thing that kept I think both of us watching primarily, was all the religious content or like the discussions and the history, right? But it's also we got to look at the show as as a show, and it's a good thing to look back into the last 10 years of television history and kind of see what it's pulling from. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's True Detective, which I think is monolithic in its legacy as like uh, a darkly toned and textured detective series, like a limited series, you know, because each show, each season is an anthology. So I think everything in the last eight years is standing up to that. And that was the first thing I thought of when I saw this show. And that's, I think they definitely drew from that mm-hmm. uh, tonally, like I said, but... yeah. This show is pretty different from a lot of the stuff we've had. You think so? Yeah, and I don't know how compelled I would have been if it hadn't been for all the stuff. Yeah. The religious stuff. Oh. Uh, well, I think that's deeply intertwined with... The religious stuff is deeply intertwined with the tone of the show, you know? Yeah. I don't know how you could se- how you could separate the two. It's hard for me to look at them as separate, so... For me, this is just True Detective under the banner of heaven. Like it's just—it's another season. Yeah, it's another season, season of True Detective. And I—I well, I was jo- we were joking about it a couple episodes ago here on our podcast, but uh, like we were calling, you know, Mayor of Easttown, True Detective, Mayor of Easttown, and Sharp Objects, True Detective, Sharp Objects. Like I was saying, like it just feels like all these true crime shows. Just kind of to me, they all fall under the true detective kind of. Well, they're not all true crime, but I—that's why I call like the subgenre true detective. Yeah, because a lot of these are just original fiction. But well, all of these detective 
true crime, whatever you want to call them shows, they all fall under that true detective kind of banner for me. Yeah. I will say I did love the relationship. And one of the things that was indicative of that true detective style for me was the relationship between Jeb and Bill Taba. Yeah, totally. And you have the... That felt so similar to me. The man of faith versus the cynic. So good. Always fertile ground for narrative development honestly in television and in literature it's so fun to watch that those those dueling perspectives yeah, it has a real punch to the gut yeah and yeah and it develops in a really cool way because bill taba is not just a one note character he's very complex mm-hmm. and he has his own history with the mormon faith not being part of it but like opposed to it as as a i, I can't remember his tribe name it was yeah i can't either I think it started with a P, but... But he, but because of his tribe, he also has his own sort of faith. Yeah, his faith... They, they tease his history, like, he mm-hmm. has... he's I think he's divorced, and he has kids somewhere else, and... Mm-hmm. He... His faith, which is kind of fleshed out in this conversation with Jeb in the last two episodes, he pulls over, they're driving to, like, try to finish finding That's their a, culprit. In the last episode. Yeah, he drives and they they pull off and he walks Jeb out to a canyon and they have a conversation because Jeb is at the breaking point of his religious deconstruction. And he's like, I don't know what to do anymore. And and he's like, what can you believe? It's this moment that a lot of people have in debate, which is like, how can you have moral compass or have moral standing without like religion? Mm -hmm. Sometimes religious people will ask you that question. And Bill says like through a little bit more flair, like he hits... Uh, jab in the gut and he's like you got to trust your gut yeah it's like you got to breathe in like look at this world around you and use your own good sense because you're human and everyone's equipped to be able to deal with this world yes on your own yeah if you you just gotta like and he uses (laughs) uh, he uses like a quote from his own tribe you know your gut can tell you more than you actually believe that it does Mm -hmm. and i love that there's an element of that for me that I'm like, I just want to follow that rabbit hole a little bit further. Yeah. But that's my own personal thing. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I was just going to talk about a couple other things that I think the show were, uh, did really well. Uh-huh. Uh, one of those things was Billy Howell as Alan. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite performance of the show, even though we have Andrew Garfield, you know. Killing it. Just running a, a clinic for uh, good acting. Especially in 2021 and 22. Yeah. But but a lot of the show hinged on Billy Howell's performance as Alan, because he's the one giving context and driving things forward, both in plot and in like character development for Jeb. He's running him through Mormonism. And Billy mm-hmm. Howell was really good. I can't remember ever seeing him again. I think he might have had a bit part in like uh, Dunkirk or something because he's English, but... Yeah, he was in Dunkirk. He was also Ray's dad in Rise of Skywalker. Oh, yeah. He's the Palpatine's son. For that like two-second intercut scene that... uh, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because... Yeah, I thought it was so funny when I Googled it and I was like, he was... He's Palpatine. Like he's literally Palpatine's clone or son or something. Does he even have a name? Uh, no, I think I think it's unsure whether he's his actual son or whether he's a clone of Palpatine. Oh. Yeah. Cool. I'd love to see him in Star Wars. Anyway, he was great. He kept me enthralled through what uh, would have otherwise been like... Pretty neutral. Pretty rote stuff because yeah. every episode in this show, I will say also, is uh, it felt to me a very like formulaic. 
Mm-hmm. And for some people, it might even get stale because we have yes. uh, the episode structure is like, you know, Alan show, tells us more about the crazy Mormonism shit. And then Jeb, you know, does a little bit more problem solving and crime yeah. detecting. Yeah. And then we have like a bit of a reveal at the end of the episode and yeah. that leads us into the next episode. Yeah. So, but, you know, I think it was credit to the performers yeah. and to the directors of the show. Yep. Yeah. And the, the, all the, and the cinematography, I thought. Yeah, I the whole that. crew, like from the cinematography to the music, everything was pretty interesting and contributed to... Yeah, I think it was just holding like, your like you were saying, like this, the way the story played out that made it a little stale. I agree. Yeah. And again, it is true crime, so people may be familiar with how this resolves. I didn't know anything about the Lafferty murders, so I was pretty interested on like how they were going to... I knew we know it's either like Sam or Dan at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so watching that unfold and also post murder reveal, I guess you could say, and watching Sam and Dan at the very end, like <laughs> in Reno turning on each other yeah. or rather Sam turning on Dan was pretty fascinating because Sam as a character, his journey in the show was really fascinating for me watching the man who was already kind of on the fringe of his family's orbit and Mormonism, like he was doing his own thing. All this stuff is hoisted on Sam and he becomes so bought into his own sense of uh greatness and watching him swallow like he would just take the kool-aid powder out of the can and like without putting water in it just take the kool-aid powder by the spoon and eat it metaphorically speaking yeah metaphor yeah got it and it was it was just so like he goes on his little self-discovery mission and like kisses, on that kisses a boy yeah he kisses a boy and likes it <laughs> even though that's not really played with in the rest of the show Katy Perry style but his whole like little self-discovery was fascinating to watch because he because Dan is like the, the conspiracy leader but Sam is the guy who buys into everyone else telling him he's the one and so right. really fascinating to watch him go down the rabbit hole and eventually just completely lose it and I think it was was it Sam or I mean they, they both murdered Brenda together but that was really yeah, and she's. It was like one one was egging on the other, and then the other one. Was, it was like they're constantly just trying to one up each other, like like brothers, you know. Yeah, and Brenda, man, we haven't even really talked too much about Brenda's position in the story, and like the accuracy of it, because I know some people. I think Brenda's sister has come out in response to the show saying, like, uh, taking uh, issue with some of its accuracy, but it seems to me like that Brenda was not done dirty like her she was kind of true to herself in the sense that she was this very virtuous person but was still like very pro-mormonism and then like that's why she uh butted heads with the lafferty brothers and was like in in her last moments it seems like she was you know obviously just still a victim of this whole mess and it's really sad i wish we got a show like this for every religion that's the thing i was left with yeah it would be so cool to see this because we're we're poking fun at Mormonism today, but like so many religions are founded on, and not just founded on, but like perpetuated with violence and with uh, just the worst stuff. Like just thinking about Christianity and the Crusades, it's like history is just blood and fire. Not to quote Game of Thrones, fire and blood. That's what it is. So, and on that note, <laughs> yeah, Game of Thrones next month. That's true. No, I, I did want to just reiterate, as far as the filmmaking goes, I did find it stale a lot. 
Like, I don't even know if I'd recommend this to certain people. I'd recommend it to people who are interested in Mormonism and like want to want to hear a really fucked up story about Mormonism. But other than that, and also I want to see like some good performances. But other than that, I just yeah, I don't think I could recommend it because I found it hard to watch at times, not because of the murders or like the content, but just because it was a little bit cookie cutter, like you were saying. So I I have to agree there. But I really did also feel like because it, it is dealing with a subject I didn't know much about, you know, much like Miss Marvel did, like it's really pulls the curtain back on like how dangerous cults can be. People can be that people. are being coerced by cults or things that feel like. Did you know, like before the 80s, like black people for Mormonism, it was like black people were just like inherently evil. Yes. That's crazy. I didn't know that. It's nuts. I th- and did you know that people and it was like Mormonism a PR. still think that for a lot of black people today? Yeah, but they opened it up. They're like, we got to deal. We got to do some little, little bit of PR here. A little retcon. A little public relations. A little retcon in this story. Well, everything is rewriting, revising their own doctrine. Right. It's it's tough because like you say religion, I have a hard time saying all religion is bad is encompassed in that. <laughs> well, I think that's a that's something worth noting. It's like, I, not all religion is inherently bad. I think it's the people that make the religions bad because people are generally prone to, uh, selfish tendencies and executing those selfish tendencies. If they allow themselves, some people fight for good and others are makers of evil. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, we got plenty of, it's it's, bad atheists. it's the mix of, of holding the bag of grief and holding the bag of joy and walking through life holding both. So that's that's where we are. Finding balance in the force. And here's a song at the end. Just because we need to end this. Otherwise, it'll go on forever. <laughs> yeah. Here's a song. Mm-hmm.